Hey there, I'm Melanie Reed, and this is the HR Mentor. If you loved last week's interview with my friend and colleague, Joel Peterson, well, you're in for a real treat today. In this week's episode, Joel and I talk about the benefits of working with a recruitment agency or a recruiter, even if you already have an in-house recruitment team. We also cover some of the key skill sets to having an effective career in recruitment and explore some current topics that are important for recruiters and HR professionals today, including diversity hiring, the importance of curiosity and building relationships, as well as the critical role trust plays when you're in a recruiter role. I think you're going to get a lot of value from this episode. I really hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed having this conversation with Joel. Let's get started. Welcome to the HR Mentor Podcast, the podcast for emerging HR practitioners to get practical advice, tools, and strategies to build credibility, confidence, and ultimately a fulfilling HR career. Well, welcome back, Joel. Thank you so much for being here again. We're excited to have you on. Thanks, Melanie. Good to be here. So last time we talked a lot about what was happening in the labor market. We also talked about some strategies that job seekers could employ if they were looking for work. So today I wanted to talk to you about your recruitment business and maybe share some more detailed information about what it's like to be a recruiter and if listeners are interested in pursuing that as a career path. The first question I wanted to ask you, many of our listeners are new to the field of HR. They might be maybe one to five years in the profession, and many of them will have at least some recruiting functions in their role. I know that's how I started out my HR career. Can you maybe explain a little bit about what a recruitment agency does and the benefits to organizations of working with an agency? Absolutely. So I think first and foremost, a recruitment agency has the ability, maybe, you know, whether it's the skills, the tools, the resources, and even the network to connect organizations with top talent. So, you know, whether it's a lot of different databases or systems that we have access to profiles of individuals that are out there in the market, or just the skills and abilities to go out and, you know, in some cases market and sell the actual position to a candidate. Those are, those are a few of the things that kind of might differ from an HR professional sitting at a desk in an organization that someone comes to them and says, Hey, go find me an engineer. Right. And do you get applicants coming to you desiring to share their resume or connecting with you on LinkedIn in case you have opportunities? Do people approach you directly? Yeah, absolutely. And and especially right now with COVID hitting and many people finding themselves out of work, it's actually, we're, I'm getting messages daily, multiple messages daily. Wow. Yeah. And I guess one of the other benefits I know in the past for me, when I've worked in an organization and we've hired an agency, Absolutely. As you said, you know, the access to top talent, but also the time factor. I know a lot of HR professionals, recruitment might be one part of their job, but they might have a number of other duties. And sometimes they can get overwhelmed with recruitment. Mm -hmm. Do you get people contacting you just because they don't have time to recruit on their own as well? 
Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of organizations, as I mentioned, there's an HR person that's, you know, sitting at a desk and they've got so many other projects on the go. And and right now it could be how to transition their, you know, their entire staff to a distributed workforce. There's probably lots of challenges that people are facing trying to find work life balance at home. So there's lots of support from an HR perspective, performance management. I mean, there's so many things going on in an HR professional's calendar in one day to add recruitment in can be a full-time job, depending on how many roles you have and and how tough the skill sets are to find, because it's not always that you have a job that you can just post on a couple of job boards and expect to get 20 different qualified applicants that you can just, you know, interview and be done. A lot of it is headhunting and finding those passive candidates that aren't necessarily actively looking for work, but who are really talented. How do you go about doing that? How do you find passive candidates? Yeah, there's a few different ways. I guess maybe the most prevalent one is just searching through LinkedIn. Use all the referrals and kind of different ways of generating referrals from people in our network. We search different databases, even job boards. But generally speaking, something like 95 plus percent or 90 plus percent of the placements that we get at Arbutus are people who we've headhunted, we've connected with them, we've figured out what their goals are in their career. And then, you know, at some point it aligns with a, a new opportunity that we have from one of our clients. And then we connect the, the two. Yeah, it goes back to what we were talking about last time about the importance of having a really good LinkedIn profile, right? Because that's how you're going to find them. That's right. If the information's not on your LinkedIn profile, there's a good chance a recruiter's going to look over it and then move to the next profile for sure. Right. One other question just about the agency and when organizations might use the agency. Do you get more requests to find more senior roles or is it consistent at all levels of the organization that or that people might reach out for assistance? That's a good question actually. Primarily the work that we've done has been with organizations looking for more seasoned professionals. So okay. I would say probably, you know, five years, maybe six years minimum. That's the bulk of the, the work that we would typically do. What we're okay. seeing right now, though, due to COVID, because a lot of junior and entry level positions were eliminated when COVID first hit, they've actually st- now that and I should say, I should clarify, as we're chatting today, we're probably three weeks or so, maybe four weeks into a bit of a, a pickup in the market. Okay. So we're we're at August 28th and and yeah, we've seen probably 3 to 4 weeks of a surge of the market where more jobs being posted, more people being hired, more people changing their LinkedIn status to a new employer, a new company. So there is an influx, but what I'm seeing is a good number of those, like a higher portion or percentage of those is actually at the entry level. So less okay. than 5 years of experience and that's what we're getting requests for from our clients right now those support roles, you know, executive assistant, administrative assistant, marketing coordinator, those types of roles. HR coordinator? (laughs) Have not gotten one of those. That's a really good question. Haven't gotten one of those in the last couple of weeks, but yeah. A lot of my former students, those are the types of roles that they're looking for, right? Right. That first opportunity to work in a professional environment, admin assistant, office administrator, HR coordinator, recruitment coordinator, those types of roles. So it's good to see that things are picking up in that area. Yeah, there's also probably a lot of competition for them as well, right? There is, yeah. Okay. No, that gives some perspective because I think a lot of times organizations 
don't know the value of of reaching out to an agency. And I know in the times when I've used that, even in a talent management or recruitment position, there's been incredible value in not only time saving, but in the long run, getting that candidate does reduce your overall costs. So, you know, if you think about the recruitment process, it's a bit like an iceberg. On the surface, you think, okay, maybe an hour to get my job description all set up and ready to go posted on the job boards. Then I might need a couple more hours to have a, a few phone conversations with candidates, maybe another couple hours to interview a few people in person, and we're done, right? We make an offer and, and, and we're good to go. There's so much more to it than that, especially if you don't have the ability to hire somebody just straight off a job board that you know you post it for two weeks and you get 20 applicants that are viable. If it is at the other end of the spectrum and it's a harder role to fill, There's countless hours of research that goes into the market to find the right candidates, to find the right pools of candidates, where they work, what they, you know, what education they have, where are they getting this? You know, if there's a certification that's kind of specific to the job, finding out where where you get those certificates, following up with those, maybe even checking in with alumni, and then multiple conversations as you kind of coach and manage the candidates through the interview process, you know, calling back for feedback after the interview, giving feedback, declining candidates that... You know, you can tell already like what's below the surface on that iceberg of recruitment is significant if you want to create a great and I think world-class recruitment experience for candidates, kind of customer service experience and have somebody walking away going, wow, what an amazing culture, amazing company. I hope one day they do select me, even if they haven't today. And I'm going to tell my friends about what a great place it is to potentially work. I love the iceberg analogy because I talk about it in my class. When we talk about, well, number one, we talk about the difference between recruitment and selection, because I see them as they're two very different processes and require different Mm skill sets. But not only that, so many organizations adopt a post and pray process. So they post, they pray, they get good candidates, and then they pick the best of the worst. And then they say, and I say this in my classes all the time, and then they say forever and ever till death do us part, because <laughs> that's what an employment contract is until right. one of you decides you're done with the other. It's, you know, in perpetuity. So a lot of organizations don't put that effort in and then they wonder why they have bad hires. Yeah. Right. And I think that's the value of having an expert like yourself there to help out and to guide that process. And, and as you said, create that great experience because we know with social media now, candidates have so many avenues to post praise, but also to complain if they don't have a good experience. And I'm seeing more and more of that on LinkedIn these days, people expressing discontent with employers that don't call them back, ghost them, that don't give feedback, all of that. So I think it's important for reputation and brand that employers recognize the value. And obviously you can offer that. The fact that recruitment and selection are very different processes, you know, recruitment is a marketing effort. The whole point is to get that large pool of qualified applicants. And then the selection stage is where we're trying to determine who is the best, who are we going to say forever and ever till death do us part to. So what advice do you have for recruiters or those in an HR role who recruit in order to find the largest pool of candidates? Like how do you generate a a good pool of qualified candidates? What do you think are the most important things? Yeah, I, I love this question, Melanie. Maybe I'll use another analogy and and talk about building a house and just say that you need to get the foundation kind of square and level and and right 
straight, whatever it is, get a good solid foundation down. And that's really your job description, knowing what you're looking for first and foremost in the market and having, maybe I caution people to say, don't, you don't have to get consensus. Like you don't need the entire company to sign off on this one job description, but you need to be really clear with the key decision maker, AKA the hiring manager with what they want this candidate to achieve what the goals are going to be, how they want the work done, if, if they want to get down to that granular level, boiling it all down to what this person is going to accomplish. And then from that, extracting or pulling out you know, the education that's required to do that, the skills, the abilities, the personality traits, all of those things, and really getting clear on those things. And if yeah. you can do that, you know, in that first initial, what we call the kickoff or the discovery call, if you can yeah. do that and be super clear on it, then everything else after that is so much easier. And, you know, we'll do as at our beauty search group, we have kind of this almost a two key system or a two stage system where we sit down with okay. the hiring manager, we learn about what they're, what they're wanting. And we're asking all kinds of probing questions, you know, to try and figure out what they really want behind what's written in this job description. And then we take that, we go to the market we see who's out there and then we bring back the profiles that are in our network and say, is this what I heard you say? Is this what, what we all thought you were looking for? Is, is it accurate? And right. a lot of times managers will, will give feedback in that kind of that second, that follow-up discovery call that really indicates otherwise, sometimes it's, it's almost contradictory to what the original job description said, or yeah. there might just be another layer of complexity to the role that comes up. And then that's kind of when you now know, okay, they've seen some resumes from the market or LinkedIn profiles, whatever it is. Everybody is now on the same page. Now we can go out and recruit. And, and I think then, you know, you kind of build your job advertisement. I'm doing air quotes here as we talk. Your job ad is not your job description in its entirety. Right. It's bits and pieces of it. Um, Thank you. Built, built in with some culture conversation, you know, conversations about what the culture might be like, the mission, vision, and values. But yeah, it's not a regurgitation or a carbon copy of your job description. And yeah, once once you have that, then you can go out to the market and start to pull the most accurate, most likely profiles from the market to share with the hiring managers. Yeah, you know what, Joel? I think I mean the first time I ever learned about having a kickoff process, or as you call it, a discovery call was when we worked together. And ever since you taught me that I've used it because there was so much value in those conversations in terms of really uncovering, because I know from, you know, my years of experience, hiring manager comes with the old dusty job description. And the first thing they go to when they want to change it is qualifications instead of what do you want to accomplish with this role? Such backward thinking, right? And that's when you end up in cases where you over require things and you don't get the right candidates, or you just don't have the right requirements to do the work, or you end up in a case where you're you're at risk of discriminating against people because you yeah. have unreasonable requirements. So I, I think that's so important to spend that time on the job description, doing job analysis and getting it right on the first sort of go around or as right as, as it can be. I like how you test the market with it too. I think that's an awesome approach. Yeah. Yeah. I always say that we'll go to the market and we'll come back and, and I'll show you some of the data that I gathered to kind of 
double check or ensure that what I actually heard was was accurate or maybe my translation of what I heard is correct. And and a lot of times, yeah, there is, you know, not always, you know, something that, that's glaring, but sometimes there is something that's glaring that's like, okay, this was a this was either a miss on our part or maybe the the hiring manager didn't wasn't super clear on it, but now we can get clear because we're hearing that kind of I always say I like to hear that real time feedback of them going, oh no, 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 this this isn't right, you know, or right. that's it right there. That's what we're looking for. It's a great way to do that. So what about the selection process? What mistakes do you see hiring managers make in the selection process? Maybe steps they skip? I think there's two things, and I'm going to call it the first one because you just kind of touched on it is really kind of diversity and inclusion and, and biased in the process where maybe inadvertently or unconsciously being biased to to a certain candidate because of potentially their skin color, the country they came from, their education. I mean, there's a whole host of of areas that someone could potentially discriminate in that may be unconsciously done. Yeah. But I think that's the biggest thing is really countless times I've had a manager say to me, I, I don't really like people that come from that company. They didn't like how they coached their sales reps. So they're not going to hire somebody from that company no matter what. And the reality is, you know, they're kind of making an assumption here that because they've worked in that company, they've been maybe indoctrinated into their culture or their systems, and they fully believe in them. And so therefore, if they came to our organization, they would not be successful. You know, in a nutshell, it's kind of prejudice or discrimination, or it's it's really just kind of painting all of these profiles with one brush. And I think it just kind of tips you off to the fact that there is going to be biased in, in these managers and in some cases, and they're going to have you know preconceived notions of, of what someone is bringing to the table based on bits of data, because they're kind of trying to use a cookie cutter to label them, I guess, in a sense. That's the probably the biggest issue that I think we see. The other one would probably be just around being in, inconsistent in the process. Oh, yeah. So not using the same process for all candidates. And it right. probably feeds right back into the, the biased uh, conversation yeah. again because they're, they're thinking, okay, this person has an MBA from this school and therefore they must be better than this person over here who has an MBA from that school. Right. Now that's one example. But I think, you know, they might say, well, hey, it all looks good on paper. Let's just, why don't we skip that, that last interview and we'll just get them in for a meet and greet. You know, that happens all the time. And then what can happen is they missed something because they were just relying on what they thought to be true or thought to be there. And they didn't do their diligence in that last conversation. And they went, went and made an offer. And, and then they find out afterwards that maybe the candidate's perception of the role was different than what they had thought they told the candidate and then expectations don't align and, and so on and so forth. So it, it can create some risk. And if you're not being consistent, it's really hard to score candidates against each other and know who, if you are getting the absolute best candidate. Right. Well, and I think that also talking about skipping steps in your own process, that's where you can end up in negligent hiring situations too, right? Yeah. And I, I always share... I guess my best example, but one of my worst hiring experiences was when I risked out an extra reference. 
and I hired the person. And then it turned out that they were involved with illegal activity at the organization. And thankfully, somebody contacted me and I ended up having to terminate the person. But I shouldn't have risked it out. Couldn't get a hold of the person and the hiring managers breathing down my neck to get a bum in a seat. And I'm doing everything I can, but I just can't get a hold of this one reference. And so I took the other one and it was good. And, you know, we'd followed our process up until that point. I got really lucky by catching it when I did. Yeah. I think it's important that, you know, all steps in the process have value. And if you don't have a robust process, you're going to risk making a bad hiring decision or miss out on a really good candidate. I've seen that a number of times where, you know, you talked about biases or snap judgments or using judgmental data to make decisions, you know, oh, I just don't feel right about this person or I don't like people from this company or whatever. I've seen hiring managers where they've missed out on probably great candidates hired somebody else that didn't work out because of some small bias that they, instead of validating it, they just assumed it was something negative. That's right. And and I'll say we could probably do a whole kind of conversation and and show on references and how to check them and and red flags in the process and uh, how to read between the lines. Like, I think that's, I'm so passionate about that aspect too, because I think there's so much you can get out of a reference that a lot of people just brush it off and say, well, it's it's their friend, you know, it's their, their old right. nobody ever gives a bad reference. Well, you can still read between the lines when somebody's having the conversation with you, even if they have been coached to say great things yeah. about a person. Um, Absolutely. Lots there. So, yeah. Well, maybe we will do an episode because I, I really drilled down on that in my classes because I always say it's a missed opportunity to just ask questions like, were they on time? Did they get along with everybody? Like I encourage people to use it to validate mm-hmm. th- things they've already learned in the process. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a huge opportunity in references to kind of validate information. But a- as you said, also find out additional information you didn't have before. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. That's great. And I think, you know, in its entirety, the selection process, I think what is important for hiring managers and HR professionals to understand is that it's more than just an interview. We have this intense reliance on the interview, which is actually has fairly low predictive validity for job success when you look at the actual research and not enough reliance on other parts of the process, screening screening interviews, testing references, you know, there's a lot of tools there that people can use. Yeah. You sort of talked about this already, but in the past few months, particularly, it's always been a concern, but there's been a heightened awareness in North America of discrimination, racism, brutality against Black, Indigenous people of color, and and people who identify as LGBTQ2+. Are you seeing more of your clients now in light of that, asking for help to increase the diversity of their applicant pools? Yes, we are. So I've gotten some diversity and inclusion training from my team and myself over the last couple of months. I know that all of these consultants that are out there doing this type of work and any training firms that are out there are all just, they're, they're book solid. That's a great thing. I hope that continues. I think in, in terms of you know, what people can be doing to, you know, ensure they have, you know, a, a diverse 
candidate pool and that they're kind of maybe running or managing a, an, an inclusive office. I think the first thing is really, you know, in my opinion, is going and getting unconscious bias training. Okay. You know, I, I feel like you, people don't know what they don't know until they yeah. get that training. They called unconscious bias for a reason. You know, it's just programmed yeah. into you. And, and so you, you'll hear a manager say, well, we really don't want to have somebody with an accent. We need them to be a great communicator. It's like, well, somebody with an accent that can speak fluent English is going to be a great communicator. You right. Know, do you, is the real fact that, that you want them to sound like you? You know, like there's, there's some questions yeah. we've, we've got to ask there. I'm looking at a hiring manager that says, well, let's get somebody with Canadian experience. They've got to have Canadian experience. Well, let's, right. let's talk about that. Why is it important for them to have worked in Canada? And there might be a very good reason. You know, there might be legal issues that uh, that they would need to know about our about our legal system, or there might be, if they're an HR practitioner, they might need to know about the, you know, BC Employment Standards Act. And there's all kinds of different things that I think good, smart, talented, well-educated people could probably get up to speed on pretty quickly. Um, exactly. So let's hire bright, smart, hardworking people that can do that. And, and they'll they'll take us a lot further than, than someone that happens to already know the regulations, but doesn't have the same drive and, and ability to learn. You know, something that would be really great for people to do more of is invite that person that's brand new to the country and to, to interview and that person that has a thick accent and ask them how they'd solve the problems that your business is facing every day. Yeah. And you just might have your, your mind kind of blown, you know, to the, how they would right. solve it and the creativity that they might bring and different perspective that they would bring Absolutely. to the table. When you can do it in the form of a case study, you could do it just in a, a situational or behavioral kind of interview. Tell us how you solved this problem in the past. Tell us a little bit about the problem. What was it? What was the challenge? And then what was your solution, your proposed solution? And then what was the outcome? Yeah. Things like that, I think, are going to get people a much more diverse and inclusive kind of hiring process. And, and I think just generally diversify their, their workforce, have them more productive. And you know, there's so much research around the benefits of having yeah. not only a diverse workforce, but also an inclusive workforce. And there are two different things and we can do a whole episode on diversity and inclusion, but, but, you know, you touched on creativity and innovation. If you always hire people that are just like you, I, I always call it same, same. Like big deal. What are you creating if it's all the same, right? If you want to be competitive and you, you want to have an edge or, create something new or be quick to respond, having innovation and creative ideas in your organization is going to help you. Well, you're not going to get that if you hire the same people with the same education from the same school. I always think of that show Suits where they always wanted to hire people from Harvard, Yeah, right? They're all taught the same way. They all practice the same way. They had the same instructors. You're not getting any innovation in that, no. right? I think it's a really important lesson for employers to kind of check those biases. And to your point, you don't know you have them until you discover that you have them. And there's some great resources. I'll actually link to the Harvard implicit bias test, speaking of Harvard, um, in the show notes for this episode, because I have my students take that implicit bias test. I don't get them to share because it, it's personal, but just being aware if you have a bias against a particular group of people can help you check yourself in situations where you're faced with that particular type of person. 
Awareness is huge for sure. One other thing I wanted to ask you about this, because I know you and I have talked about this over the years. What can you do with your job ads to make them more attractive to a diverse pool of applicants? Like, what do you recommend? Yeah, I, I would say, I mean, first and foremost, there are tools out there that you can leverage okay. that will actually give you kind of a diversity kind of rating on it to make sure you're not eliminating, you know, maybe females who read the ad because it's, you know, to, uh, it's just not, it's not going to attract them or they're, they're going to be scared off by it. Yeah. So I think there are, there are software tools out there. There's a bunch of them now, which I think that one is called Textio, if I'm not mistaken, that was the, the original one that, that came to North America, but there's other ones out there now as well. And I think some ATSs might even have that feature built into them. What I would do is I would probably sit down with, in my organization, I'd sit down with my marketing team and Ah. talk to them about the language you're using. First and foremost, is it on brand, but then is it discriminatory or is it, you know, eliminating certain, certain groups? And I think, you know, your marketing team will, will probably have a good grasp on that. And it'll give you a sense of whether or not you're speaking in your brand voice, making sure it's aligned with the brand, because that's a really important piece as well. What about you? What what have you been doing yourself? Well, I mean, I, I love the software pieces. I didn't know if there were others other than Textio. I know Textio is great. I also know it's extremely expensive, or at least it used to be. So it's cost prohibitive for... Like I know a lot of my clients couldn't afford to use it to do a couple of ads, mm. but, but there's other things like gender-based wording. So you can, there's a free tool based on um, some academic research that you can just run a body of text through and it'll pick up all the gendered words. So okay. words that are traditionally masculine versus feminine, and then you can go back and change those. The other thing, and I know, I think it was you that taught me this as well. You're such a good teacher, Joel. <laughs> because I think we found this research when we were working together about the fact that if there are, that female applicants will only apply if they can, if they can do about 80% or 90% of the items that are listed in, in the job requirements. So they yes. have, yes, right? Whereas male applicants, if they have 50 or 60%, they're like, ah, I'm going to apply. So if you have too many requirements in your job ad, you're going to eliminate a lot of potentially great applicants. So female applicants and people that are invisible minorities tend not to apply unless they can do most of the requirements, not the requirement, most of the duties and if they fulfill the requirements or they meet the requirements. So really drilling that list down to what is absolutely necessary for shortlisting. That's what I teach all my students. That's what I do when I write job ads for clients. We really pare it back and we take out the nice to haves because we're going to get those anyway. Let's get more qualified applicants to pick from, right? Absolutely. Good reminder, Melanie. I think that is one of the best approaches not to have a laundry list of 100% of what people should be able to do in the role or or you'll need them to do, potentially do at some point. It's just, yeah, you don't need it all. And yeah, to your point, you lose a lot of applicants as a result of it. Yeah. I don't think I've ever started a job where I knew how to do exactly everything that I was eventually going to do in that job, right? Every job has a learning curve. There's 
even if you've done it before, there's new language, there's new acronyms, there's new processes. So it's unrealistic to expect that somebody's going to have everything. So yeah, I, I think it's your bare minimum. Yeah. So what career advice do you have for listeners if they're interested in pursuing a career in recruitment? Because I know it's attractive to a lot of my students. Yeah, I think, you know, there's a couple different ways that you could get into recruitment. So, you know, if you wanted to, you know, if you're an HR professional that's wanting to transition into recruitment or just maybe learn more about it, then certainly yeah. ask ask to help out in the recruitment area of your, you know, your organization. It's certainly just chipping in on projects. They really are projects. You can say, can I raise my hand and, you know, help recruit for a receptionist role or an EA or a role that maybe it isn't too complex. You know, you don't need to know a lot of the technology inside and out. And it would just be something that you'd have your kind of baseline experience, education and skills that you could track and go and find. That's that might be one one option. But if somebody's looking for work right now and they're kind of thinking, where do they want to go? I certainly wouldn't try and steer somebody away from going and working for an agency. If you really do okay want to kind of cut your teeth in a really quick way and learn some of the most valuable skills that I've got in recruiting have been stuff I've learned working at an agency. Maybe as an example, some of those things are how to cold outreach to a candidate, right? You know, how to really get to the bottom of what does this person need to do and what are they going to achieve in the role? What are their goals? That kind of stuff. A lot of that stuff I got at the agency, not to mention okay. kind of the pace, the volume of of roles working in an agency it's about the speed of getting to the market meeting the right people in a very quick fashion and then what you want to do is be able to maintain a relationship with the ones that you aren't necessarily moving forward with on that role because there will be a role potentially in the future that'll come up and you'll want to just pick up the phone and say hey bob we talked a couple months ago i had a, a role that wasn't you know quite the right fit but i've got one now that i think might be and that kind of thing those would probably be my two, you know, depending on if you want to go the route of being an internal recruiter or an external recruiter, having in-house and agency experience combined is going to be, it'll kind of raise you a head and shoulders above other candidates that are applying for the same recruiter job or maybe manager of recruiting job that that you are. And, and having that agency background, I think really does give you that ability to learn some of those skills that are valuable. So. Perfect. What do you think are the key skills of a good recruiter? What do you think are the most important skills? I think just being personable. First and foremost, you got to be personable. You have to be able to just connect with people on a really human level. I think one of the traits or one of the kind of approaches is that's really important is just being curious. Mm. Every time I get on the phone with another engineer or a director of marketing or the manager of HR, that I'm if I'm trying to recruit these people, I just get curious about what they're up to, what their career goals are. You know, I always call it the career trajectory. What does that look like for them? What are they maybe not getting in their current role that they'd love to have in, in a future role? Get a sense of what their own kind of value system is. And if it aligns with the organization that I'm recruiting for and then ultimately the job that I'm recruiting for, then we're, you know, we're in a really good spot. You carry that for that conversation forward with them. Yeah, I'd say some some of those things uh, certainly organization is really important. You've got to be able to organize files. You've got to have conversations, take really good notes, track that information, 
memorize some of it because you're going to, you know, be standing in front of the hiring manager. You'll, you'll be headed to the, well, you won't be headed to the cafeteria anymore, not for a, a while, but the manager might just slack you really quick and say, Hey, can you chat really quickly about these, these candidates that we just interviewed? And they'll kind of pepper you with a bunch of data, like, you know, Hey, what was your salary expectations on this? And how much time do they need to, to come in? And what projects did they work on that were relevant in, in this uh, coding language? So you, you, know, you kind of have to be able to organize and, and memorize a lot of that stuff to really add value in the hiring process. So either have a really good memory or really good note-taking skills. Yes. And both would be. <laughs> I don't know if I would cut it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I managed with I, notes, but yeah. <laughs> I think the, the, those are great. I, I really like that you stress the ability to build relationships because I think that's so important to an HR career and people don't realize that. It, it's funny when it's a profession focused on people, how little some people realize the importance of relationships are in our profession. It really is. It's relationships with the hiring manager. It's relationships with the candidates, you know, internal people that are making decisions that there's a lot going on in a recruiter role. You're and absolutely that, right. And, and thanks for labeling it too. I don't think I actually said the words relationship building, but you're right. It, it absolutely is paramount or critical, put a little bit of weight to it is, is that we're asking people to uplift their careers, their, their jobs, whatever, you know, whatever you want to call it and kind of switch teams, go to another organization. that's completely unknown to them when it's their livelihood and it's paying their bills, it's taking their family on vacations, it's paying for their hobbies and their kids' education. All of these things, we're asking a lot of them, you know, to take our call and, and consider making this move. So you cannot take that lightly. And, and as a result, the importance of building the relationship is that they can understand and know that they can trust you and that you're going to give them accurate information and you're going to do your diligence and, and make sure that what they're going to is what you say that job is. And so that's, maybe that's a little plug for be the good guy or girl, yeah. be honest, uh, but build that rapport and that trust. And you'll have a friend by the end of it. There's so many people that I I've stayed connected with and we go on hikes or play tennis. It's great because there are people that entrusted me with their job search and you know now they're they're flourishing. Well, you hired me and we've been friends for five years. There, so. there you go. <laughs> great example. But I, the trust piece is huge, right? And I, I think it's so great that you emphasize that because I think sometimes hiring managers, I mean, they've got a lot on their plate too. And that's why recruitment is such an important function to leverage in your organization. It's not just about them setting up the interview, but they're the one that's building that trust with that candidate so that they will say yes. But if a hiring manager is managing it on their own and say they're not returning phone calls, they're not giving consistent information, they're not sharing the full picture or the scope, that person's not going to be as willing to say yes to that organization because there'll be some trepidation with that individual and whether or not they can trust them. You know, it goes back to just not returning emails and phone calls or ghosting candidates or, you know, all of that erodes trust yep. because it's a relationship. I, I, I always say to my class, you know, you would never go on one date with somebody, call them up the next day, propose, <laughs> get married and say forever and ever till death do you part. That's but right. we, we do it with hiring all the time. They have a phone conversation and say, yeah, okay, that'll work. And then organizations hire people. And, and I just think it's a missed opportunity to really 
you know, further your organization or your business. And like you said, they should treat it with the level of respect that it deserves, you know, and and the individuals that are part of it. Yeah, I, I yeah. agree. I, I think, I yeah, I like the analogy of, you know, dating and then getting married after one, one date. I actually had a candidate a couple of weeks ago that I called, we interviewed and, and he said, okay, well, great. Thanks. Let me take this information away and I'll do some research on the website and, and get back to you. And I said, well, please do that. What I'd love to get to in a couple of days is whether or not you'd, you'd want to go and meet them. He goes, oh, I right. just, I need a, I need a couple of weeks to decide this is a big decision. And I just tried to just reassure him and say, you know, kind of the analogy that you used. I said, Hey, I don't need to know if you're going to marry. Like, here's my analogy. I said, yeah. I don't need to know if you're going to marry them. I just need to know if you want to have a call or what you might call have a date with them. Yeah. And even if we did decide that you like the looks of the opportunity and it's worth exploring, we're just going to set you up for a phone call. It's going to be that simple. And you can ask, you know, as many questions that may be unanswered after you do your internet research and then kind of take it from there. You can decide at that point if it makes sense to actually go for a formal interview and so on and so forth. Right. And there's no you know strings attached or no requirements for anything yeah. from that along in the process, but have the conversation and, and see where it goes. Is there anything else that you would like to share with listeners about recruitment agencies or life as a recruiter? Um, anything that we didn't touch on that you think is important? I think you've covered a lot. This is this has been really good. This has been a great and and fun conversation. I guess like any profession, there can be recruiters that kind of give us the rest of us the kind of a bad name. You might, you know, as you're asking around saying, Oh yeah, I had a call from a recruiter and they ghosted me. Well, don't be that recruiter. Those are there and they exist. Absolutely. I think, you know, genuinely 99% of recruiters, their hearts are in the right place. Maybe they're too busy, they have too many requisitions. I remember at one point having 35 requisitions on my plate and it was too much. Oh my God. It's just, I just couldn't keep up. I know recruiters that have 90 and wow. some of those are duplicates, but not many. And they still manage it and they're still smiling at their desk every day, but they work. It seems to me they work 24 seven. Right. So you just have to find out what the right role in the right organization is for you. Ask about rec loads, as we call it, requisition loads or job volume. Ask about the process, understand the recruitment process that they go through. What does the interview process look like? How much administrative stuff are you going to be coordinating versus maybe having an assistant or somebody that can support you with some of the documentation and administration, or maybe there's a system that'll do it for you, but we're getting to understand the recruitment process. And you'll, the beauty of it is you'll be able to actually be in the process interviewing with a company as you're starting to look for this, this next role. And right. kind of be in the process and, and kind of feel it, see it, experience it. If they're getting you to fill out a lot of forms as you go, you'll know it's going to be administratively heavy as a recruiter, kind of shuffling all that paper. Yeah. yeah. So, so different things like that, I think. But be curious, ask the right questions that are important to you. And you know, if you do that, I think you'll, you'll find a great role and you'll find a good, good fit with the company and, and potentially your, your hiring manager and you'll, uh, you'll love recruiting. I love the be curious. I, I think yeah. that's important. That's great, Joel. So where can our listeners find you if they want to know more about Arbutus Search or they want to, if they want to hire you to help them find great candidates? Yeah, absolutely. They So I guess my phone number, or they could call me if they want. I'm, I'm pretty open to, to taking calls. Okay. You can find us on Instagram. 
and we're just at Arbutus Search, and that's A-R-B-U-T-U-S-S-E-A-R-C-H. We're also at ArbutusSearch.com and also on LinkedIn if they want to connect with me on LinkedIn. Perfect. And I'll put links to everything in the show notes so people can find you easily if they're if they're on the website and listening from there. So great. That's great. Joel, thank you so much for taking the time to do this today and and for sharing all of your experience and your knowledge. You know, whenever I have a recruiting question, you're my go-to person because I I love your approach, but I also think, you know, you're so knowledgeable and, and you have so much experience and you have a lot to share. So thank you for doing that today. We appreciate it. Thank you, Melanie. This has been a really fun conversation and I love what you're doing for this community of young aspiring HR professionals and you know, whatever path they go down, whether it's recruitment, which I hope it is, or HR on a broader spectrum, I think you're you're bringing so much positivity and just such great insight for so many people. So great job. Keep it up. Thank you. I appreciate that. Once again, I really want to thank my dear friend, Joel, for taking the time to talk to us all about his experience in the recruitment industry, as well as sharing his valuable wisdom and advice. It was a really fun conversation to have, and I sincerely hope that you got a lot of value out of it. If you are interested in a career in recruitment or are looking for a job right now or a changing career path, I really encourage you to reach out to Joel. As we said in the episode, you can find links to his contact information and all his social media pages in the show notes on my website. As always, thank you so much for being here. It means the world to me that you took the time to listen. If you haven't already subscribed, please do so wherever you're listening. And as always, if you have any comments or feedback, don't hesitate to reach out. Take care. Bye for now.